Uh, we've got a great set of friends that we've had for almost 20 years, Kevin and Kathy Allen, who live in Phoenix, Arizona. When we were uh, working with students there uh, from 2000 to 2005, they became really our first and closest friends. They had two kids at that time in the student ministry, one of whom took over for me when we transitioned from there to Omaha, uh, the other who graduated just on the front side of our transitioning, really special people. And so last summer, it's been several years since we've been back as a family, we went back and they actually allowed us to stay with them. So when you take five people in your home, many of you have done that for almost two weeks. Uh, you can imagine, uh, that's a pretty big risk, especially not after having seen one another for a long period of time. Well, it was great. The fellowship was incredible, and, and Kevin now serves as an elder. Uh, well, they have a family business. He owns several Dairy Queens. Um, so as you can imagine, we visited there several times, those Dairy Queens, and we were there because we're ice cream fanatics. And uh, in the process of the last several years, Kevin has been teaching his son, Andy, how to overtake the business, how to work all the ins and outs of what it means to be a business owner. Many of you have been or currently are business owners as well, and so you know it's not just one individual driving that. If you're married, you know uh, we're all in. This is a family business. You work at it together. You're fully vested as a family. And so over the years, Andy has seen uh, this life of investment of his dad pouring himself out, trying to expand the business, growing it, and absolutely in Phoenix, a Dairy Queen is a great place to go. Ice cream is needed in those hot summers. Well, Andy, over this period of time, has learned a lot. He still has quite a bit to learn, has a family of his own, uh, but is excited about the opportunity potentially to take over for Kevin when uh, he retires and transitions out. This idea of apprenticing Andy with his dad, Kevin, learning the ins and outs, very common uh, in Scripture, New Testament in particular. As you know, if you read through, it was very common for kids to directly follow in the lines of their parents. Sons following dads, daughters following moms, and a crossover took place as well. So farming obviously was a big community at that point. It was a driving source. We still have farms today. We don't hear of that, it seems, as much, but they're learning the family business was a regular part, this apprenticing, learning what that meant. And so as a result, when parents did reach an age of retirement, they would often hand over the entirety to their kids, and they would take over, and they would continue to run, and then it would pass from generation to generation. Once again, we don't see that even in our culture as much anymore. Parents work in a specific area. My dad was a banker. Obviously, I didn't follow my dad in banking. I was called to ministry. You may have followed your parents and what they did in the same profession. Uh, doubtfully, many of you, because of knowing your histories, uh, did you do that? But uh, there are some in our culture who still do. A, a good term for that, the apprenticeship, the learning, the teaching that takes place, is disciple. We see the word commonly used in the New Testament related, obviously, uh, to spiritual things. Uh, Paul, Timothy, that relationship that developed. Timothy saying, uh, Paul is my mentor, my spiritual father, being discipled. Paul investing in who he considered even to be his son, Timothy, this one who was to carry the gospel and to grow the church. This, this idea of discipleship originally being seen 
taking over the family business. Now, in spiritual terms, actually one investing in another, not just to take over the spot for, but going farther and beyond, sharing the gospel, investing in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we see as John is writing this portion of the letter in particular, he really defines out a couple of things, some uh, some at the 30,000-foot level, some in the specifics. What does it really mean to be a disciple? Disciple, of course, involves obedience to God's word, to him, to his calling in our lives, this, uh, this walking through life, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives, being directed by him and being either obedient or disobedient as we follow this this idea of uh, disciple, being a disciple, um, keeping Jesus as the forefront of our minds and hearts. So this idea of obedience is, is interwoven with the concept of being disciple. Also, we see this aspect of the need for us to display Jesus as we walk with him, as we grow with him. And so that's what John's going to address today. Before we begin with our passage, however, let's pray. God, there's so much here this morning. I don't know how we're going to cover all. Authenticity of faith. This message really is key for all of us. And so I pray that in these moments as we look at your word, that you would drill down into our hearts, our minds, Continue to show us your truth. And God, that you would challenge us this morning. Uh, we are really begging for your help today. Uh, we love you. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins this morning with this, uh, this concept of a disciple following in obedience to Christ. And that, that really is where he begins in verse 3 of chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 1, however, just reviewing a couple of verses from last week. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Remembering if we have a relationship with him, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God being an advocate for us. God the Father, he is advocating for us once again uh, the blood of Jesus covering our sin if we have surrendered our lives to him and him advocating for us uh, in the process of that. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Then we begin in verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we, mean, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So it begins in verse 3 talking about this um, keeping of the commandments. We, of course, know we refer back to Deuteronomy. We can look at the Ten Commandments. We can walk through those. Exodus, obviously. And we, we look at what those are, the makeup and and one of the key reasons that those were written is to show all of us, even today, that on our own, we cannot morally, ethically, relationally keep those commandments. It's impossible. 
for us to do that in our flesh, on our own, whether we be lost or saved, we cannot fully keep those. As expanded in Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus began to speak with people, referring back to some of those commandments, actually saying, and we've talked about this before, that if we have hatred in our heart for a brother or sister, it is the same as murder. And so we don't actually have to commit the act of murder, taking someone's life to be exhibiting this sin or this attitude of harboring anger, taking someone's life uh, just, just by our words, our actions, concealing it at times in our hearts and minds. And so there's this, this reality for us as followers of Jesus, seeing that in no way, shape, or form can we actually keep all of those. We fully depend on the Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives, not transactional as salvation some would see as as this is a transaction from one to another, but it's transformational. It's the changing of our hearts and lives throughout. As we are disciples of his, when we surrender our lives, he is the one with whom we want to be like as he transforms our hearts and lives. And as we see our brokenness and actually this position of what our sin really is before the holiness of God, Instead of it creating in us the spirit of pride or arrogance or legalism. Any of those things that are actually the opposites of what God desires for our lives. As we are drawn closer to him and we see the reality of that, it produces in us such a great sense of, of gratitude for the work that Christ has done, is doing, and will do in us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin, based on the cross, based on the work of Jesus, living, dying, raising again, giving us hope and giving us life. Our love response to him, then, in fact, is obedience into what he calls us to. Some would say, in their lives, they are working their way towards this relationship with God. And you've had these conversations before. When you've talked about eternal things or about salvation, many will respond, well, I hope I make it. I hope that when I see God, I will have done enough to basically earn my way in. Well, that is the opposite of what John is communicating here. Some would say that he was trying to say, if you haven't fully kept all of the commandments that God has given then you prove that you are not his. But I have yet to meet anyone on this planet, birth to current, who has actually lived in perfection, who doesn't wrestle and struggle with sin, who's, who have fully kept all of the commandments the way that God has called. Again, referencing when they were originally given, written, and New Testament, how Jesus approached those areas. I have yet to meet someone who imperfections live those out have you no the only one to have ever done that and walked this planet was jesus fully god fully man he is our example he is the one we follow and so if it means then in our lives that if we break a commandment or if we sin according to those who say they're working towards it would mean that our faith is nullified null and void doesn't count doesn't work we're really not found in him if that truly is the case. It also points to uh, 
this works-based salvation that many point to as well. Again, if I do enough good things, if I work enough, then I will be seen or found in him. And that simply is not the case. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. We are not saved on the basis of our works. It is by the grace and mercy of God through faith in him and the work that he has done in our lives, actually entering into our lives when we surrender to him. By this, we know that we have come to know him. We keep his commandments. So, so how do we then know the authenticity of our own faith? How do we know that whatever decision was made years ago, maybe months ago, days ago, was actually the reality of Christ changing us, saving our lives? Well, we look and point to uh, not just the moment of salvation where we surrendered, but we look at what's taken place since then. How are we being transformed by his goodness? We look at the spiritual gifts. We look at the fruits of the Spirit. Are those evidenced in our lives? Once again, salvation not being based on what we do, but what he does. Him working in, moving through, changing us transforming us and there should be this desire in our lives from our depths to please our father you remember being a child wanting to please your mom and dad wanting to show that amount of respect love care for and the reaction of our parents when we did that as kids produced joy kids who lovingly follow their parents examples and obey without being instructed 4,000 times, <laughs> produces, produces joy. Produce joy in our parents, produce, for those of us who are parents, joy in us. And so in the same way, when we keep his commandments, when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, when he speaks to us in our lives, it brings joy to the Father, to the, the heart of the Father. Because we are doing what he has called us to do, really not because we have to, but because there's this deep desire in our lives because we want to please him out of our love relationship with him. Verse 4, and it's interesting already in the first chapter and a half, uh, John's pretty stark. I don't know what he was thinking when he was writing this. Obviously, God was working through him because these are the very words of God. But this verse 4, this, this stark reality once again, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commands is a liar. Okay, we've seen this liar term before. That's, that's, that's a pretty harsh reality. If we don't keep his commandments, then <clears throat> it makes us liars. And the truth is not in us. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And so once again, John is not communicating that if we don't perfectly keep the word of God, his commandments, and if we don't live a perfect life, it does not mean that we are not authentically and truly saved. It actually points more to the grace and mercy and goodness of God and is loving us in spite of. It would be a shame for us just to stop at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 because Ephesians 2.10 really finishes uh, the picture of what he was communicating. Because some would say, well, if it's not based on works, then why shouldn't I work at all? Why, sh why should I do anything for the gospel or for the kingdom? I have the relationship with Christ. It's solidified. Why don't I just continue in life, living as is, salvation secured, 
and call it a day. Well, verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this, this idea of workmanship or the picture of clay on a potter's wheel, soft, moldable, the hands of the potter, working on that, shaping it, moving it, that is our picture of our life. We, the clay, God the Father, the one forming it, changing it, moving it, and even pictures of those pots, some which may look perfect after coming out of being heat refined and the finished product, the finished work looking good. There are always slight imperfections. Oftentimes we see those with our eyes. Some of those, uh, if you, again, had kids and they bring home the little vases or whatever they've made most of the time. Those things are obviously not perfect. You see all the imperfections, but we love them because they're gifts to us from our kids. But we see this molded mess. I can remember being in shop class and and taking those uh, pottery classes in grade school and coming home and, Mom and Dad, here you go. Proud as all could be. This is the best clay pot you've ever seen, right? And it's wavy and chipped. And my parents' response, absolutely. I have never seen anything more beautiful than that right there. The grace and mercy. We too, constantly being on the potter's wheel, constantly being formed and made, will have imperfections, will have wiggly lines, will, will not be perfect. And oftentimes we look at that with discouragement, frustration of our own lives, seeing this at times what is a mangled mess. Through our own eyes, we just can't get it. But through the eyes of the Father, if we really saw as he saw, true beauty. Did you know, in his eyes, as you are his, in spite of how you see yourself and your life, he sees you as a beautiful creation and work of art. And if we say, stay soft towards him, and we stay on that wheel, and we allow him to continue to shape us and form us with all of our victories and all of our defeats, everything in between, once we see him face to face, which that is a reality for every person who ever walked the planet, his view of us because of the blood of Christ and the people he is creating, the person in you that he is creating, he sees this beautiful work of art. If we could only see as he sees our own lives, how would we walk differently? Complete obedience is not the measure of salvation. The measure of salvation is whether or not we have surrendered our lives and whether or not the blood of Christ has covered us or not. Salvation. Keeping his commandments should be a joy as he perfects his love in us. By this all will know that you are mine by your love for one another. So the real question, I guess, should be, or questions, 
two greatest commandments. How am I growing in my love towards God? How am I growing in my love towards people? I don't know that I'll share this next service either, but Ethan and I were driving yesterday. I haven't even told Tiffany. And we were coming up on a, an intersection uh, to go get some cookies. It's a great Saturday thing to do. And so as we were going, I had to switch lanes. Um, so I'm driving. Uh, it was wide open. I thought, okay, I'm making my change. I turned signal on, did it the right way. A little bit of traffic, eased over. And all of a sudden, I hear this honk. Turn around. Lady, probably in her, I don't know, mid to early, late 20s maybe, um, yelling, angry. Now, she was in not this lane, but in this lane. And she was actually a little bit far back when I made my, my transition. So, so the next thing I look in the mirror, guess what's sticking up on her fingers? Well, how about that? It's been a while. So she darted around and then literally cut me off. I have no idea how I, how I didn't hit her. So here I am <laughs> driving Ethan. Okay, how am I going to respond to this one? Wow, look at that. Gosh, Ethan, it's been a while since I've been flipped off. She's angry. What's going on? So I thought, okay, I'm switching lanes. <laughs> so I switch lanes, go over, and um, the entire time that she's right in front of me, that hand is still up. Well, how about this? So drove straight. No kidding, looked over the entire time. Boy, that hand was up. And so I looked at Ethan once again. Primarily, I'm responsible to disciple my son to respond as Jesus does and to follow him. That is a prime responsibility. Well, she must be having a bad day. Gritting my teeth as I'm talking. Uh, Jesus, we pray that she gets saved. Amen. Ethan said, good job, Dad. Good. We'll keep going. You never know what's going to happen. That, that idea of discipleship, as we are going, seeing either the reality of Christ in our life and our responses or not. We're not going to make it the right way every time. We are going to mess up. We are going to blow it. And there is a beauty in that too. But, but it's this process of loving God, loving people, responding to him in obedience because of that love, because of the work, that gratitude that we have, that he's done us, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. There should be a heart within us that desires that, to bless God, to love God, to do as he's called us to, not because we have to, but because it's this deep desire relationship we have with him and love. Continuing in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there's a euphemism that's understood with this idea of abiding, of a sexual relationship that takes place between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. We are supposed to be so intimately relating to Christ that it far exceeds even that intimate relationship that we have with our spouses being fully bare towards him. He sees us, every part of us, and knows us. But there's this, this idea of, or this concept of, that John is communicating that our abiding in, resting in, knowing him, is the deepest, most intimate relationship that we 
have ever had, currently have, or will ever have with him. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we abiding in him? Beyond a Sunday morning worship experience, public worship is an extension of private worship. If we are not privately worshiping the king, if we are not spending time with him in his word, in prayer, not for the sake of checking a box, but actually knowing him in this intimate, deep, love relational way, if that is actually who we are relationally in him, being found in that way, it not only profoundly affects us, but it should profoundly affect the lives of those around us because we cannot keep that to ourselves because we know that God offers the same to all if they would just respond to him. Abiding in him, walking in the same way, displaying Jesus in our lives. And in the process of that, at times we're feeling great imperfection. At times, the perfection of God working and moving through our lives to bring him glory. In Keith Phillips' book, The Making of a Disciple, from a long ago, he said, mature disciples reproduce their lives in others. They, hear, they bear lasting fruit, fruit of the Spirit. Also, we see in Disciple Maker's Handbook, disciple making is a process of helping someone establish a relationship with Jesus and instructing that friend in the life of faith. Kevin wants Andy to succeed in the business. He wants him to be able to learn and grow and go and take it where God would want it. When we invest our lives in others, discipling others, our desire is that they are able to take the gospel to places where we never have, that they would so understand the knowing and abiding in Christ, that they would experience him relationally in ways that we never have. Wanting that for those around us, the investment is important. As a, an elder team, we've been developing a discipleship statement. Read something like this. Discipleship is the process of following Jesus using the spiritual disciplines so that we actively engage Jesus to live our lives as Jesus would live them and personally teach others to do the same. So that, that, that is our desire, that we would live as if... Jesus were living in our place. Let me say it again. That we would live our lives as Jesus is living in our place. Do our lives mirror that? I would say in some respects, all of us would say yes if we are followers. Some of us, all of us, would say in some respects no. You hear me say it a lot. We are all works in progress. <laughs> Every one of us. But it does display the goodness and the grace and mercy of God in us as he works. What does he mean by being perfected? The perfect work of Christ. The perfection of who Jesus was when we surrender. Him living in us. And then our response, Christ-centeredness, obedience, submission, and love. Displaying him in our lives. Two more quotes, and then we'll, we'll wrap it for this morning. Uh, the first, Christianity without discipleship 
is always Christianity without Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Our being disciples personally and our discipling and investing in others. The next, and I thought this was profound, Richard Foster's celebration of discipline. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people. And listen, I stand before a gifted group of intelligent people. I get it. Uh, many of you, if not all, could run circles around me. I know it. Very intelligent. He, though, saying, there is not the greatest need for that, but for deep people. People who are deeply, intimately knowing Jesus and walking with him. There is a desperate need in our culture, in our society, heavens in our church. For people to so deeply be walking with Jesus, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in their lives, that we in turn, by example, intentionally, and at times unintentionally, display the life of Jesus to encourage others to do the same. How are you doing in that area? If you are regularly plagued with the authenticity of your faith, wondering if it is valid, wondering if it is true, wondering if you are found in him, your call is simple. You need to get that nailed down. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He never wanted us to wonder. So if you struggled with wondering, is my faith truly authentic? Today is the day for you to get it nailed down. You don't have to talk to me. You can talk to really anyone in the room who I'm looking at who, who knows Jesus. Share that with them and let them encourage you and walk you through it. I mean, I'd be happy to do it as well. You don't even need us. You really just need to, Christ, I want to get this nailed down. And then yield your life in submission to where you know for sure that you have a relationship with him. That is the key starting point. So if you've wrestled with that, if you've wrestled with the authenticity of your faith, it's possible over time that the concept of being his disciple has gotten skewed, drifted, and if your primary focus has not been him and it's not been that I'm this work in progress in you and you are my teacher, you're transforming me, then this morning your call is simple too. God, my idea has been confused and it's been out. Help me be realigned with you this morning. Help me to remember who I am this beautiful work of art on this, on this potter's wheel. Not perfected. But filled with the aroma and the fragrance of and the handiwork of you and my life. And remind and refresh my heart and soul in that today. If you do, and that's you, watch out. This is really going to be a good week, a challenging 